The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 387 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is the challenges of PTSD for military personnel and their family caregivers. Now, PTSD is short for post-traumatic stress disorder, a serious mental health disability. The military terminology, operational stress injury, refers either to PTSD or to a serious mental health disability that's similar to PTSD. And that in the military situation, it's sustained the operational stress injury during military service. Now, I'm going to talk about PTSD. PTSD follows trauma, such as serious physical injury, especially when the resulting disability is permanent, witnessing people being hurt or killed, experiencing dangerous events, feeling horror, helplessness or extreme fear, receiving little or no social or psychological support following the trauma, dealing with extra stress after experiences such as loss of a loved one, pain and injury or loss of a career, job or home. PTSD can have very serious effects such as risk of suicide and addictions. PTSD creates serious challenges for military personnel injured in military service, challenges which add to and complicate the challenges resulting from serious physical injuries. Um, PTSD creates serious challenges for the military spouses and their families and the injured military personnel and their families. All of which is why our topic, the challenges of PTSD for military personnel and their family caregivers, is so important for family caregivers. Now, uh, to discuss it, our guest today is Francisca Bury. Francisca is a military spouse of a 22-year Canadian Armed Forces veteran. He was deployed to Afghanistan in 2008 and was severely wounded as a result of an enemy attack. His injury gave Francisca personal experience of supporting a veteran with physical wounds who is suffering also from an operational stress injury. In 2010, she joined the public service as a family peer support coordinator with the Operational Stress Injury Social Support Program with Veterans Affairs Canada. 
In Veterans Affairs Canada, she works on the family file under the head psychologist and manager for the Operational Stress Injury National Network. Her tasks are to create more and improve supports for families within the network and its clinics across Canada. Prior to joining the public service, she owned and operated a small business, and she holds the Bachelor of Arts, a BA degree in education um, from the Seminar Hofville University in her native country of Switzerland. She is a mother, the mother of two daughters, age four and seven. So welcome to the show, Francisca. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Great. Now, first question for you. Please tell us more about your life, your career, and your experience with family caregiving before you became a military spouse. I would be pleased to do so. I was born and raised in Switzerland in a very small town just outside of the capital of Bern. Uh, born to my mother and father. Uh, my, my father is a farmer. My mother is a nurse, uh, second of two girls. My father was in the military as well, um, but the, um, it's, it's a little bit different over there than it is here. It's uh, mandatory military service for, um, for every male um, in the country. And so I had a bit of experience uh, being around military, but definitely not um, as a caregiver in any way. I attended high school there as well as university, um, was into very much into competitive sports, uh, mostly volleyball. I did spend a little bit of time, I couldn't say uh, family caregiving, I spent a bit of time uh, uh, working with my mom as a volunteer. She was a uh, nurse in an old retirement residence and I would go there on my lunch hours and uh, help serve food to the elderly and you know play some card games with them and just take them for walks and have some conversations. I did, once moving over here to Canada uh, in the late 90s, uh, open a business here. It was a hair salon that I owned and operated for seven years, and I did sell it upon my husband um, making the decision to deploy. At the time, I was also expecting our first daughter, so I decided that um, I needed a bit more time to focus on my home life as opposed to on, on business at that time. Right. Now, Francisco, I'm going to stop you there because uh, time is always pressing in these of kind course. of things. So I want you to tell us now more about your work in the public service as a family peer support coordinator. What do you do, Francisco? Yes. So uh, the OSIS program, the Operational Stress Injury Social Support Program, was founded 12 years ago by a veteran uh, of Rwanda who decided that um, uh, for him it was very helpful to be able to talk to his um, uh, colleagues in the military who had sort of lived similar experiences, sort of where the peer support concept came from. The program itself uh, employs veterans who themselves are diagnosed with what we call an operational stress injury, and they are in therapy, and they are sort of able to model ongoing wellness with therapy and sort of able to set a beacon of hope as well as to that having an injury of such a kind is, is, is very sustainable and, you know, livable. Uh, and then we have what we call the family peer support coordinators, which was myself, and we are all family members of soldiers who have sustained an operational stress injury. So as the program, uh, we, it, it, it brings on peer support and social support in a form of individual meetings with, with family members or veterans. We also focus very much on bringing groups of people together. So we run support groups uh, where you know, we have educational topics, but a lot of them are based 
socially in a sense of being able to bring family members together to be able to share their story, to, to have a safe place to feel understood by others who are suffering a similar fate. Uh, a lot of it is education and outreach as well, and we also within the departments and the community are well connected to be able to help family members and veterans find further resources away sometimes from Veterans Affairs Canada or the Department of National Defense. Right. Now, different question. Please Mm -hmm. tell us more about your husband's wounds and operational stress injury, obviously that resulted from his military service in Afghanistan. Francisca? Yes. So to the physical injuries, uh, my husband was, uh, um, uh, he sustained severe injuries due to enemy attack. It was um, a man-triggered improvised explosive device that um, exploded under his light armored vehicle that he was riding in. As a result of that, he was ejected from the vehicle and when he he sort of came down, he impacted on the vehicle, which caused um, to have caused him to have multiple broken ribs. He had a damaged, collapsed lung, shrapnel wounds, a serious head injury, and as a sort of further down result as well, hearing loss, and he suffers from tinnitus. After this happened, he was uh, brought to Kandahar Hospital and then repatriated to Germany and eventually back to Canada for hospital stays to help him get better. On the mental side, the trauma came from the explosion. I mean, he had seen you know, soldiers wounded and killed during his deployment. Uh, he was in, in firefights uh, and, and started, you know, as a result of that, um, reliving the events very quickly after getting home, uh, which led him to have a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder the following summer, so the summer of 2009. Now, let me ask you a little bit more about uh, his present circumstances. And um, please don't t- tell us, share anything with us that you think is confidential, but let me ask you the questions anyway. First of all, is he living at home with you right now? He is. So you are his family caregiver day in, day out. Is that right? Yeah. Now, we're going to be, I'm going to be asking you later on about the challenges that you're experiencing being his family caregiver, but just please outline for us some of the things that you do as his family caregiver at this particular time. Francisca? Um, I try very much to keep our line of communication open. Um, I, I have learned throughout the years of supporting him as, as a caregiver to him that I had to really gain his trust that I was his partner as opposed to his enemy. Uh, oftentimes, you know, that comes from frustrations of miscommunication, it came off of the fact that uh, there were a lot of changes evident in him, but also within me due to this event and and the aftermath of the event. So the, the most time I spend is communicating with him and letting him know that I'm there supporting him all the way and also to really help him get through his triggers. Uh, post-traumatic stress means reliving events. So a lot of things trigger him and throughout therapy and keeping our line of communication open, he has learned and I have learned what his triggers are and therefore I can help him by either pulling him out of the situation that triggers him or help him get through the situation in a more smooth way as opposed to, you know, prior to us being able to identify the triggers he was having. Um, 
furthermore, it, it helps us, you know, in our social life. <clears throat> Excuse me. I understand that when he's around crowds, either in our home or on the outside, that at times he needs to withdraw and he needs to be able to get out of that situation because it becomes too overwhelming. So again, because of the communication that we have and we have little signs that we give each other, I very quickly understand that he needs the support to be able to withdraw. And again, I can help him without, you know, the rest of of the crowd around him recognizing that he's having a hard time. I think you said that he has um, ear problems in the form of, I think it was tinnitus you were describing. Yes. That means that his hearing isn't as it should be. Is that right? Because presumably that interferes with the communications as well, doesn't it? It would. Um, he, has, he has suffered hearing loss in one of his ears, so I know always to talk in a good ear. <laughs> Furthermore, I'm quite lucky because I have a, a, a fairly loud voice. So we've not really had the issues with that. The tinnitus is actually what the tinnitus is, is a ringing in the ear. Uh, and it was caused by the loud explosion that he was subject to when he was wounded. So from time to time, he will get the ringing in his ears. Again, he can let me know when that happens. And obviously, we try to very much avoid conversation and noises around when that happens and to sort of give him some time in, in, in quiet so that he can, you know, because it comes and goes and it's, it's very tough to say how long it's going to stay and not. So, Yeah. Now, we We've come to the point where we have to take a break, Francesca. Um, this is where I always say we have to pay the rent, so we're going to do that now. Of course. This, <laughs> this is Dr. Gordon Asley, and my guest is Francesca Bury. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat, creator of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to... 
Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Francisca Bury. Our topic is the challenges of PTSD for military personnel and their family caregivers. Francisca, now let's talk about the challenges created for military personnel by the operational stress injury combined with serious injuries sustained during military service and about the challenges also created for the military spouses and their families and the families of the injured military personnel. So first question then is, Francisca, Francisca, this, please highlight for us what you see as the most challenging of the challenges for your husband as a result of his operational stress injury and his serious physical injuries. Francisca? The the physical injuries um, obviously would, would sort of trigger uh, a lot of his mental injuries at the same time. And the challenges with his physical injuries that he sustained uh, due to the explosion that he was in are that th- there wasn't really a surgery to fix, um, you know, a broken arm or a broken leg. They were severe injuries that uh, impacted us for a, a very long time because it was a very slow recovery. So once he was repatriated um, back to Canada and spent a few days in hospital, he was sort of dropped at my doorstep and, and I became his full-time caregiver uh, for for his physical injuries. Um, at the time, we also had an infant, so it was kind of like caring for two children. And so we had to really, um, you know, sort of regroup ourselves and, and find ways in our two-story home to get him accommodated. He couldn't walk stairs. He couldn't shower on his own. He couldn't get dressed. And uh, it was he was heavily medicated, so he really required 24-hour-a-day attention at that time. On the mental health side, some of the largest challenges were once his medications wore off, um, we really started to see a change in him. I really started to see a change in him, I think, before he did. You know, I saw that he... It almost felt like he was a new person. Part of him stayed back in Afghanistan, and and I I didn't recognize a lot of the person that he was at this time. He was angry. He 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 withdrew from his friends. He didn't want to see anybody who wanted to be there and support him and visit. He was very easily triggered if it was the dog walking around or or our child crying. He had a lot of guilt about the fact that um, he survived and and others on on the tour did not survive. He had a lot of anger that he didn't get to finish the tour that he was was on and and overprotectiveness was also very aware very paranoid did not want to go into a vehicle always looking out so as much as we didn't recognize what exactly was happening with him we certainly you know both really noticed um the the changes in 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 him as a person away from the physical injuries as well now same question, but relating to you. Please highlight for us what you see as the most challenging of the challenges for you, a military spouse, as a result of your husband's uh, operational stress injury and physical injuries. Francisca? A really big challenge for me was the fact that I had very little experience with caregiving, and I also... When I met my husband and, and we got married and, you know, I knew he was a military member. He was a military member of the reserve force. 
And I didn't ever think I was going to be faced with my husband deploying uh, to a war zone. And so for me, that was, you know, coming to acceptance. Um, when he returned and was so severely injured and being a reservist, he sort of fell through the cracks of the system. And, you know, post-hospital was basically dropped at my door. I didn't know, you know, what rights he had for home support, uh, where I should reach out. And as you can imagine, you know, uh, the Department of National Defense and Veterans Affairs Canada, they're, they're big machines. It's hard to navigate through when you really don't know uh, any, anything or much about, about you know, uh, being part of the Canadian Forces or, or whatnot. So I found that a really big challenge that I suddenly became a full-time nurse, you know, of, of getting up four or five times uh, per night to give him medications and, and you know, to, to change uh, dressings uh, to, to dress him to, <laughs> from dressing to cutting his toenails to help him in and out of bed and, and, and whatnot. So that, that on the, on the physical side was, was a, was a huge challenge for me. Uh, on the mental health side, you know, um, it was, it was, Trying to recognize who he was really was the toughest. You know, there were qualities that made me fall in love with him that I, I didn't see anymore. And, and one of the qualities that he had that I absolutely adored about him was he had a lot of patience. And that patience really was not there. I think that was probably the biggest difference that I noticed in him. And, and I, I realized that this whole experience had changed me drastically as well. So it was kind of like being in the same house, being a couple who had been together for almost 10 years, but really having to get to know each other and try to navigate through, you know, uh, sort of new personality traits and, and, and realizing in all of that that our line of communication was not just, you know, damaged. It was, it was pretty much cut. So, you know, from that aspect, it was, it was kind of two new people trying to get to know each other again with a lot of extra stressors involved. Now, I want to follow the same line of questioning, Francisca, but to ask you to talk about what you see as the most challenging of the challenges for your family, the people around you, um, your two daughters, um, other members of your family, wherever they are, and also for your husband's family. All of these ch challenges associated with his operational stress injury and serious physical injuries. Francesca? A big, a big challenge for us was stigma. My husband uh, uh, had a lot of stigma uh, affiliated especially with his operational stress injury, not much with physical. To him, physical injuries, you know, they were going to heal and, and, and people could see them. They're visible injuries. And therefore, he, ha he had never had any challenges uh, disclosing or, or, or speaking about those injuries. But having a, a mental health injury, uh, which is, you know, what we call an invisible wound, was much more challenging. So I spent a lot of time trying to encourage him to speak with his family and speak with my family. I felt that it was something he needed to do. I did didn't want to do it for him because I felt that it should be done as little at his own terms in his own words and he did not want to do it for a very long time so what I started seeing with his family and as much also my family is that people started questioning you know I saw some of his family members uh, turning to me and, and asking me as to you know if my husband was upset with them why weren't we you know attending family events anymore or much less than we used to and, and it, it was tough to see, and, and I think that 
one day my husband realized that, you know, he needed to be open about this. And, and I tried to encourage him for a long time and encouraged him again at that time to be open because I, you know, ensured him that these are people that love him and will support him no matter what. And it may actually become very, you know, very much easier um, for him to have their support if they were, you know, informed about what was happening. And, and a lot changed for him and us. Once, uh, once he did have conversations uh, with his family members and my family members uh, in a sense of, you know, there were a lot less questions as to why we weren't attending events and we were hosting less people and why last minute we would not attend, uh, you know, a gathering or a birthday party for that matter. With our daughters, they're quite young. So our little one, you know, was born after he came back. So she'll never know her dad the way he was. And our firstborn was a baby when he deployed and when he came back. So for them truly, you know, I want to say it's a blessing. It's a blessing in a way. They'll, they'll know their dad the way he is now. They'll never see, you know, a change in him as opposed to, you know, children who may have been teenagers when their father deployed and came back with an OSI. So there I think we are fairly blessed that our kids are, are you know, just sort of growing up and knowing their father the way he is now. I find the challenges with friends, um, especially my friends and the support. They are extremely supportive and I love them for it. It is hard for them to understand our challenges. They don't live it. They're not in, you know, they're not in, in it. So it, it's really tough to find the words, you know, for them to understand 100% of what, what we are going through and the frustrations and challenges that I'm dealing with and also him. So I've always had this saying of, I respect their ignorance. You know, I, I respect that they don't understand, but I also know the reason they're supporting me and, and telling me the things they're telling me is because they do have, you know, love for me and, and want the best for me in my life. Can I just take you back to something you were talking about, stigmatization or stigma? Was there or would there have been any element of shame in the way that your husband felt about his condition, um, particularly his reluctance to talk about it. Would, would shame have played a part in it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm positive that it did. I think that, you know, and, and stigma has been around for a very long time, and, and, and you know, we're working very hard on, on, on lowering the stigma or getting rid of it, ideally. I think for him, absolutely, it was affiliated with shame as well because, you know, it, it was affiliated with uh, signs of weakness, um, you know, uh, embarrassment, uh, and also knowing that it was something that was not necessarily what we would call curable. It, it was not a condition that it was just going to go away magically with therapy. It, it was becoming, you know, the goal is for it to become manageable with therapy. And so it made him feel weak. It made him feel embarrassed to, to his friends, to his colleagues, to his family that, you know, this happened to him and especially his military community that, you know, there were soldiers he's close to that it didn't happen to. That that you've just described, that sense of inadequacy, that's my word, but it's that I is something I attach to your description, um, is fundamental to everyone's understanding of what the operational stress injury component is, uh, as well as what the physical injuries are and entail. 
Now, just very quickly, um, it's really this is just asking you for a yes or no, but would it be right for me to say that that sense of shame, stigmatization that your husband experienced is something that ought to be better understood? What do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that way, it seems to me that we need to open some doors on understanding. And I'm in the next segment, which is coming up very soon, I'm going to be asking you uh, the kind of things that need doing. And I think you've already made very clear that the things that need doing are addressing some very serious problems that ought to be better understood. So we'll take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Averley and my guest is Francisca Buri. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Lots of people talk about publishing their work, but have no idea where to start. If you are one of these aspiring authors or know somebody who is, don't miss Publishing Today Radio with Athena Dean Holtz. Thought leaders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and in general, storytellers all want to get their messages in print. And that includes branding and marketing. Athena and her guests are here to answer your publishing questions and more. Tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Francisca Bury. Our topic is the challenges of PTSD for military personnel and their family caregivers. Francisca, now let's talk about help in overcoming the challenges, the challenges you've been talking about. 
occupational stress injury, operational stress injury combined with serious injuries. And also the challenges created for their military spouses and for their families. So, Francesca, please highlight for us the ways in which the True Patriot, Patriot Love Foundation, that's Canadian, helps in overcoming what you see as the most challenging of the challenges for your husband as a result of his operational stress injury and serious physical injuries. Francisca? The True Patriot Love Organization, or Foundation as we call it, um, has given my husband an opportunity. I would almost call it a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He, last April, actually um, participated in the March to the North Pole with the foundation, organized by the foundation. And that march was, you know, taking 12 wounded soldiers, combining them with some great Canadian business leaders, and, you know, overcoming this 10-day trek together to march to the North Pole in uh, what you could imagine very cold conditions and, and some, you know, very big storms and whatnot. It gave my husband an opportunity to to connect with fellow soldiers who are suffering a similar fate. Uh, it, it, it developed a peer support network for him, uh, and it really allowed him to have some very intimate one-on-one time in small group time to talk about some of the challenges and realizing that he is not the only one who is suffering uh, from an operational stress injury, as a matter of fact, that there's a, a large military community out there who is. It helped him over the stigma. He, it, it, it gave him that readiness to be able to go on national television. This was a televised documentary, you know, to talk about this. And the reason he wanted to do it is not only to help him overcome the stigma, but he, it gave him the opportunity to let other soldiers know who were suffering in, in silence and, and family members that, you know, it, it's okay that, you know, you, you, you can have this and, and there is help out there and, and, and soldiers and families can live a satisfactory life having an illness of such kind present in their household. And also, lastly, I would say it helped him get ready for his transition out of the military as he did six months post this, um, this expedition to just give a bit of readiness, to sort of find a bit of closure. Uh, there were other soldiers on this expedition who this was sort of their last big event they did with fellow soldiers. So overcoming that physical challenge combined with the mental health challenge with some soldiers who were wounded as well was, was, was very healing to him. Now, would you go so far as to say um, that the True Patriot Love Foundation is something that you referred to earlier in this broadcast, a beacon of hope? Is that the way you would view True Patriot Love Foundation and particularly what, what they did. Absolutely, absolutely. Discussed. I mean, I, you know, I have the utmost respect for, for the foundation and, and the employees and the founders, uh, and I've had the honor to meet them all. Uh, you, you know, being able to, to, to bring uh, these soldiers together and giving them these opportunities, uh, I think, for one, it's a once-in-a-lifetime chance, but I think the results of being able to do such a thing or, or having the opportunity to participate in such events, you know, uh, it, it, would, it would equal, you know, uh, more than any therapy could ever give anyone. And don't get me wrong, I, I fully uh, agree yes. with therapy being a need, but it's, it's, they're giving soldiers something on the, on the social uh, peer side that, that they wouldn't be able to have otherwise. Right. Now, question for you. 
Please highlight for us the ways in which you strive to overcome what you see as the most challenging of the challenges for you, a military spouse. Francisco? My big thing is uh, communication. And I've, I've already highlighted it multiple times. I'm a big preacher about communication and keeping the line of communication open. Uh, I ask my husband often to, you know, uh, there are times where he is not willing to communicate, and I respect that, but I ask him to revisit you know, the topic that needs to be discussed at his own time when he's more ready for it or in a better mindset. I think being able to, you know, have that and understand, uh, uh, you know, the injury or the illness uh, is, is key. So seeking, you know, psychoeducation to be able to to learn about the injury and, and know more about it and help and meeting with his therapist at the same time to know where he's at in his recovery has been very helpful for me, uh, and I have had the, the great opportunity to be in the, in the job with OSIS for five years, you know, where I learned that all these things actually existed, which I'm not sure I would have actually, you know, had an opportunity to, to learn about all of this, wasn't I in the job that I was in for so long. You know, I think, I think having my own uh, peer network myself, having uh, other spouses that I am closely connected with, to speak about the challenges and, and feeling understood in a very different way because they are also going through similar stories has been very much key for me as much as having my family and friends who are outside of that circle as well. And I think the one thing I really do want to highlight that I've, you know, sort of a, a model that I've lived by is to not give up hope and focus on the little things, uh, to not focus as much on, on some of the steps back that are taken in the recovery or in the relationship, but to rather focus on the small little steps forward and really recognize and celebrate those steps that are being taken as a big achievement. Uh, and, and every time that happens, the hope grows a little bit that, you know, this is manageable, it's becoming more manageable, and, and you know, life can be good even having the injury present in the house. That's hope. Now, Francesca, my next question is in relation to the challenging ch challenges for you and your family and for your husband and his family. Um, what are the ways in which um, you um, strive to overcome those challenges and what are the ways in which they can be um, overcome in other ways. Francisca? My biggest thing with our, both our families, uh, once my husband uh, became comfortable sharing his you know, injuries and, and, and sort of the diagnosis that he had received on a mental health side, is this honesty. Uh, I have chosen to be honest. Um, I always check with him prior to doing it. I believe as much as he was the one who told his family and my family what the actual diagnosis was, that he is quite comfortable with me sort of more talking about the details or the reasons uh, why we're doing such things or not doing such things. I have felt that honesty um, has been very helpful for us. So instead of avoiding events or, or leaving events early or suddenly, um, I've, I've, you know, it helps manage expectations for everybody involved. So knowing that we will attend an event, but we may have to leave or this event is going to involve fireworks, we are not going to be staying for the fireworks. So honesty has been great, and it has, has helped the family not feel so left out because at one point they, they were struggling, they were seeing the changes, and they just felt helpless 
uh, as they just really didn't understand or were being informed of what really was going on. And the next big, you know, thing that I like to do, which, again, I, I also had, you know, the opportunity to do in my job for so long, is educating them. You know, letting them know, because I think a lot of times people are very quick to judge especially on invisible injuries of, of, you know, not understanding them 100%, not knowing about them. So educating them really of what the injury is and what it encompasses and how to help the individual through it and the family as well, our children and myself, uh, is key. It's key and it also gives them uh, a sense of belonging because now they feel like they are able to help us. Uh, you know, from the outside. So they feel like they're sort of in the inner circle, which is where they really truly want to be. So, Your word, inner circle, I want to use that to phrase another question to you, and it's this. In, in healthcare practice, you know, doctors, nurses, and so on, they talk of the circle of care, that is the healthcare professionals who are form around so to speak, a patient in particular circumstances um, and when the patient goes home or is referred to another hospital then the circle of care in terms of who the individuals are changes. I think you're saying, Francisco, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, that the family caregivers and families are and should be and must be the circle of care for people like your husband with operational stress injury and serious physical injuries. Am I right? I'm not sure if I would say must be, Gordon. I I think that for us, I think everybody is different. I think it really depends on the relationship within families. So for us, family has always been very close, very, very tight-knit. So it worked for us. I wouldn't want to put the pressure on anyone. I think for us, the personal experience has been that once they were let in, it was a wonderful experience for them to be able to be part of it, to be able to be part of that inner circle. Um, As much as I I could see in in other cases where it may not be the same, Um, but I truly... I believe that, you know, for our own experience, um, it, you know, it worked in the best interest for us by being honest and by educating them uh, to, to, for it to become sort of a, a tight group uh, of support. I very much like the way you describe that. That is, the families should be let in. But that implies that there's a decision for them to make whether that's what they feel they should do whether that's what they want to do. Now, have I understood your reservation correctly on that point? Yeah. Because in that way, that bringing people together reflects something else that I've learned from doing this show, and that is it's very often the case that people who have lived through an experience which has demanded family caregiving or has been a serious challenge where cure is not really an immediate prospect, all those kinds of challenges. Very often, these people come to the point where it's almost as though they're on a road, they're walking along, and then suddenly they turn around, look over their shoulders and see somebody else climbing on the road, and they reach backwards to to give a hand up to those people. Mm -hmm. And so that's the 
we're going to have to go into the break now, but that's the story I'm hearing from you, and it reflects very much the things that I've heard from people in other circumstances. So it's a great, great point to finish on this particular segment on. So now we'll take the short break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley. My guest is Francisco Bury. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio and Sharing the Burden. Please stay with us. We're coming back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Families today face unique challenges. Marriage, parenting, and family forms have changed a lot in the last century. Family Matters with Dr. Virginia Collin will focus on building and maintaining healthy family relationships. We will discuss marriage, divorce, family mediation, parenting, lifestyles, and mental health. All kinds of family matters. Our show will feature guest experts and your participation, too. You can listen to Family Matters live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. On the morning of August 5, 1962, the world awoke to the shocking news that Marilyn Monroe, one of the biggest icons in Hollywood history, had been found dead. What really happened that night? Join Nina Bosky as she seeks to uncover both the life and tragic death of Marilyn Monroe and what keeps her so popular over 50 years later. Good Night Marilyn Radio, live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Francisca Bury. Our topic is the challenges of PTSD for military personnel and their family caregivers. Francisca, now let's talk about the things you'd like to do and see done to promote help in overcoming the challenges that you've been talking about. So first question. Francisca, what more would you like to see done by the True Patriot Love Foundation and others to promote help for military personnel living with the challenges we've been discussing and that you've been highlighting? Francisca? Speaking of the True Patriot Love Foundation, uh, I really uh, at this time can only say great things about the foundation and the work that they have done and they are continuing to do. Uh, as I had mentioned earlier, I have had the honor of, of attending one of their multinational mental health symposium, which not only allowed me a chance to uh, speak as a military spouse, as a veteran in transition, but also I made some wonderful contacts from our allies, you know, in the United States, in the UK, and also in Australia. What I, what I would like to see more of and what I have noticed about True Patriot Love is that there's still a lot of people that do not know 
who they are and what the foundation is about and, 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 and what they do. I found that, you know, this within departmental uh, areas in Canada, I have found it with just the average citizen. I would love to see more outreach. I would love to see uh, them more known across across you know, the country and further, uh, not only for the fact of, you know, for people to be able to participate, but also for, you know, for donations and for people to see truly that there is a cause out there that really cares about, you know, our soldiers and their families. I'd like to see it done in two official languages, you know, uh, to sort of um, ensure that it reaches all of the country and, and again, further. And, you know, other than that, I, I really have to say that, what they are doing, the you know, the with with the expeditions. There's the next one planned already for this fall, which is wonderful. Again, it'll take, you know, ten soldiers and some business leaders and give them a wonderful opportunity to connect and and meet some wonderful people who can act as mentors once they are releasing further into a civilian career. So, you know, on, on their behalf, I, I have to say, I think it's wonderful what they are doing, and I, I would really only be able to say that, you know, they should just keep up the great work they have so far done and they keep doing. Now, I'm just going to say one quick thing. That's why this episode, Francisca, your episode, um, I think is going to be so valuable because it's a way of getting the message out from, with your voice, via my talk show, which goes out to, it has an audience of something just under a million people. And I know from the way, the kind of responses we get, that people take these kind of episodes, your episode, very seriously. So I'm hoping then that um, I'll help in the kind of things that you're saying you'd like to see done. Now, I'm going to ask you a different question, um, and this is as follows. What we're doing now, right now, you and me, is recording an episode in which you've discussed a topic that's vitally important for military spouses, like you and all the ones you've been talking about. The episode will be saved in an archive. So my question is, how helpful would it be to military spouses as a community to have more discussions like ours in the archive and either way, why do you think as you do? What, what, what are your reasons for thinking the way you do? Francisca? I will tell you I think it would be extremely helpful. And I will go back to my, uh, you know, five years working for the Operational Stress Injury Social Support Program. I have seen uh, the impact on bringing family members together and, and giving them uh, a safe place and, and, you know, to be able to this discuss their struggles without being judged, you know, in a confidential environment. I've seen the impact that has on people and how much they benefit from events such as these. I have hosted retreats. Uh, You know, I took 30 spouses away for a weekend and gave them some education and some self-care time and everything else. And, and, And bringing people together, really, and, you know, letting them connect with each other, I felt like, and I can say this over and over, I didn't ever really have to try to get them connected. They naturally do. There's a different kind of understanding because they all realize that, you know, their stories may vary, but they're all there because of the same reason. They're there because they are caregivers to somebody who suffers from an operational stress injury. So giving, you know, 
more opportunities like these, I think, would be absolutely wonderful. You know, even maybe having two people, you know, I, I don't know how many people you're allowed to have on your talk show in one hour on one topic, but, you know, having more than one person uh, like myself on a show discussing, you know, various topics because there, there are so many challenges that come affiliated with operational stress injuries that I think the world does not realize, you know, and, and giving some of these spouses an opportunity to, to hear this. And, you know, there, I think there will be a lot of people, a lot of caregivers at this point who are going to feel a lot less alone after hearing such an episode, after hearing somebody you know, talk about this. And I have seen that again, you know, working in my job over and over again. The answer to your question about how many guests we can have, um, I'm limited to a maximum of four, which I think it would be a very good idea if we could build something together. Now, I want to just answer a little bit more about the way in which these discussions that you've been talking about among military spouses help. For example, do the military spouses learn from each other when they're in these kinds of meetings? Francisco? Absolutely. What I, what, what I saw a lot is that though people are, are, are living you know, as caregivers with these injuries um, or, or with, with veterans with these injuries, you know, everybody is in different stages, in different stages uh, for themselves as in acceptance of how much they've accepted that this is happening or how far along their spouse is in their recovery. So people will pick up on each other. So, you know, when people ask about, you know, hosting these support groups, I always would just say that all I did was facilitate them. It was very important for me to facilitate the group, to bring them together, and to keep the group safe. So there wasn't a lot of narrating, a lot of asking questions, because the conversation flowed. You know, somebody would talk about a challenge they endured, and somebody else would be able to continue that conversation and say, that happened to me a year ago. Here's what I did about it. So there was never, uh, you know, any silence. Uh, you know, people respectfully waited to give answers, but absolutely there was a lot of learning from each other and a lot of advice giving, you know, in a very safe, confidential way that happened over and over again. You use the word confidential. Um, we're not being confidential, you and I, because we're broadcasting to a large audience and our episode will go into the archive. Confidentiality is important at times, but so is openness. Do you think that um, if we plan things properly, we could encourage people to talk openly without them feeling that their confidentiality, their privacy, was being broken down, broken into? Francisca? Absolutely. I mean, for me, it was, it was, it was an example is, you know, being able to do this show with you today. Um, you know, I, I'm a very open person, so I have, I have zero problems talking about, um, you know, my personal situation in, in regards to being a caregiver to someone. When I talk about confidentiality, I think, you know, more what I'm saying is, is that that was a cornerstone of the program that I worked for. So people who, came to the program for help, knew that, you know, this information would no it would not go past myself as their coordinator or past the support group they were attending. Talking about confidentiality, you know, I see a lot of, I've met a lot of spouses who, you know, would love for their voices to be heard. And I think that 
you know, if they are given the opportunity, I think a lot of people would take that opportunity to be able to voice their concerns and and and, and their experiences in, in right. being caregivers. Now, unfortunately, we're at the end of this um, of this episode. Francisca, thank you. All strength to you in everything you're doing, your work, your family caregiving, and, of course, all strength to your husband. Um, we really do respect what you both are doing. I want to say thank you to our listeners. Now, I also want to mention something to do with this show. With this show, Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting on a new research project called Qualitative Research, and this episode is part of it. The idea is to find out what you, our listeners, think about important topics, such as the one we've just been listening to, and for you to share with us your experiences of healthcare. Please email me to hear or more more or to get involved. And also, if you'd like to be a guest on my show, here's how to connect with me. Doc G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Our next episode will be Law and Lore of Autonomy and Mental Health Disabilities. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around.